0: okay so um, I hope everyone had a chance to look at the questions and see um, you know get get to discuss a little bit um, what was there because I think it will make our discussion today more meaningful I always pass out these like major booklets but don't be scared <laughs> we're not most we're not even gonna get through all of it and um, you can take it home for extra reading but we will look at look at some of it. Actually, can I just have one? Thanks. Um, so last time, just to recap oh, sorry. a little bit, um, I know that... Is it okay if I sit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I just want to make sure you can see me. You're back have a baby where you're not I know, right? <laughs> Sometimes I don't even know which, which is more comfortable, but right now I just sitting. Um... So, right, last time I know when you had, when you had Jackie, right, she, she, we did a, she did an introduction on spila. So she mentioned one aspect of Sfila, Um and I know she gave you a source sheet. And, right, one of the, one of the goals of prayer, we said, because if, right, if we ask the question, why are we praying if we know that it's not to change God's mind about something since he knows what's best for me? I actually want to find that sheet. I left it here. Um, so one of the the reasons she gave uh, Zenun, remember? Was this idea of connection, right? And she brought, I think she brought the source about a petil techeilat. We say in the third paragraph of Shema um, that, right, when a man wears tzitzit, so there's a strand of blue, right? And patil actually, right, a thread is something that ties things together, related to the word tefilat. the same, I don't have a marker, but, um... Right, it's the same letters. Right, Taf Pe Lamid is the root of Tefillah, and it has Tzil is Pe Taf Yod Lamid. It's the same root, um, which means connection. But there's another aspect of Tefillah, another another goal of prayer that I wanted to make mention, and I think it will help us understand the sitter. Why we have formalized prayer, it will give us a lot more insight into into why we actually would need a sitter. Um, so did you come up with anything that uh, that you wanted to share? No pressure, you don't have to, but anyone's feeling very forthcoming. <laughs> so the other aspect um, is this concept of introspection okay, and looking inwards. So if you look at the first source on the first page, um, Right, Rosham Shon Rafal Hirsch Rosham Hirsch by the way is an amazing uh, commentator amazing rabbi he lived in the 1800s I think from 1808 to 1888 actually that's why I remember because it's eighth. I don't usually remember you know random dates um, but uh, he's a re- I, I highly recommend if you're interested in like looking at a commentator on uh, on the Parsha on him she also has writings just on different subjects. And the reason why he's so great, well, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons is you don't, it's in English. He wrote actually in German, he lived in Germany, and uh, his writings were meant to be for the masses. So you don't have to feel bad that you're reading a translation because it's not from Hebrew, it's from German, so that always makes me feel better, like I couldn't do the German anyway. Um, And uh, secondly, I find that his commentary is extremely extremely relevant to us, and our generation specifically, because he was really responding to the um, reform movement, which, uh, you know, started to evolve during his time, and was really taking hold in his community. Um, So, I find that the, the way that he, the way in which he writes is very relevant to many of the issues that we, you know, in today's society, that we're struggling with in the Jewish community and how it looks. And it's, uh, it's a very uh, somewhat modern, relevant, uh, more relevant in terms of, you know, the, the issues that he's addressing and the way in which he writes, um, you, it might, it might uh, you know, resonate with you. So, does someone want to read? Uh, it's all in English. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Jen. So,
1: the from which tefila is derived, originally meant to deliver an opinion about oneself, to, du- to judge oneself, or an inner attempt at doing so, such as the hit form of the Hebrew verb frequently denotes.
0: Hold on one second, I'm just going to pause yeah. for one second. So, he's, he, he's actually, a, he's a, what is the word, grammatician? I'm making that up, maybe. But he's into grammar. (laughs) Okay? Um, So, right, he's explaining the way, when we say to pray in Hebrew, we say the, the, the way in which we use the word in Hebrew is actually reflexive. It's like I'm doing something to myself. So when I say I pray in English, it doesn't sound like I'm doing anything to myself. But he's explaining the way the verb is formed, hit palel, it's actually, uh, the, the, in, in Hebrew, in, lay, in, in the laws of grammar, it's that someone's doing something to himself. So he says it actually means to judge oneself. Okay, so he's getting a little bit into the grammar to, uh, to explain what the word means. Okay, go ahead. In other words...
1: Thus it, den- right, thus it denotes oh, yeah. you step out of active life in order to attempt to gain a true judgment about oneself. That is about one's ego, about one's relationship to God and the world, and of God and the world to oneself. It strives to infuse mind and heart with the power of such judgment as will direct both anew to acts of life, purified, subliminated, strengthened. The procedure of arousing such self-judgment is called tefillah. In English, we call it tefillah prayer. But this world but this word only incompletely expresses the concept for to pray, i.e. to ask for something, is only a minor section of tefillah. Okay, great.
0: So it's a very different, very radically different way of looking at the concept of prayer. What he's saying is that when I'm in this process of introspection, looking inward, discerning... Right? I'm actually right, trying to figure out for myself, okay, what's essential, what's peripheral. Right? What, when I pray, even if you think about, like, what do I want to pray for? <laughs> right. So, you know, some people would say, oh, I want to pray for that skirt that I saw on Macy's. I hope it's still going to be on sale and I can make it there tomorrow. Right? But usually when we take the time to pray, and I'm not saying you can't pray for those things, by the way, I'm all for it. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually heard, I thought this was was very helpful to me in a a class that I went to. Um, The rabbi said, anything that you put effort into deserves a prayer. So if you're willing to put effort into something, well, prayer should be part of that effort. So really, anything goes. But (laughs) at the same time, so by the way, like, you know, and I'll be there very soon, right, like when I'm dieting or things that I, that I feel like I'm doing that are so mundane or so like, what, like, should I really even say this? Like, like if I'm, like, to God, like, that seems so mundane, so trivial, um, but if it's something that I'm putting effort into, then yes, okay, why, why not? It, deserve, it deserves a prayer. But at the same time, right, we do start to think, well, what are the things that I really want in life? You know what is really important to me, and what is not as important to me. So when we actually take the time to verbalize those things, I am going through a process of right self, you know, self introspe- introspection, self, uh, you know, evaluation. Who am I? What do I want? What do, what are what are my needs? What are what are my desires? Right. So that process is the process of prayer in this in this regard. Um, now, uh, before we get to formalized prayer, the second question that that was on, uh, hopefully you were able to discuss a little bit, was right. Is it really natural for a person to pray, right? Do you think that's like someone who's, you know, total not, not necessarily a religious person. Not, doesn't even necessarily call himself a believer, right? Uh, not not necessarily a believer in God. Do they pray? What would be your answer? Probably. probably? I mean, they probably
1: yeah. don't even realize when they say something
0: that they want or like do it. Right. Okay. So my it's interesting because my gut reaction would be like no, like if you don't like why would you pray if you don't believe in any higher being? But the truth is, we do find that people who even consider themselves to be irreligious, not spiritual, you know, somehow they're involved in prayer. So if you look at the, the second source, turn the page, there's like so many papers here, turn the page, Ravolbi. So Ravolbi, who uh, passed away quite recently, uh, you know, uh, Maybe five, seven years ago. Someone else knows exactly. Six years, years ago. Okay, great. I'm so glad. Pretty close. So he was a, um, you know, a revolutionary teacher when it came to, when it comes to musar, which is um, character development type of ideas. So he um, he actually. Gives a, def- a, a a unique definition of what a human being is. Okay, does someone want to read? It's my translation, so uh, you know it's not. The, the, if there's any mistakes, I take responsibility. Um, but does someone want to read the English? Anyone? Go for it, Natasha. In okay. chapter Baba
2: Kama 3B, what is a mabat? Brock said this is a human as it's written. The watchman said morning
0: is coming, but also the night. If you would inquire and ask... Hold on one second. Pause for a second. I should have wrote, um, when it says inquire, I should have italicized it or bolded it, because it seems like mada means an inquiry, like someone who's inquiring. Okay? But he's saying a mada is a human. Okay? Someone who's inquiring, who's asking, is is a human. Go ahead.
2: Therefore, Mavé is from the language of inquiry and asking, meaning prayer. A Mavé is the one that prays. This is the definition of a person, that he prays, because a prayer is a lofty action of a human more than any other activity. Enterprises of war, building homes, and even creating social networks are foundational, but these activities are performed by animals as well. But to elevate the creator and the one who brings all worlds into existence, and to speak
1: with him face-to-face using the term
0: you. This is the entirety of the human Okay, so he's saying something very interesting. Right, what differentiates humans from every other part of creation? Speech, okay, and actually we are referred to as Medaber, the, you know, a creature that speaks. But it's not merely speaking. He takes it one step farther. What does he say? It's a person who prays. <laughs> now, you know, or not, or a person by definition is somebody who prays. Not a per- meaning. It's not like this person prays, so he's a person, and this person doesn't pray, so he's not a person. He's saying, if you are a human, you pray. Now, um, you know, I have lots of family that is not religious and does not. Um, you know, non-observant. Some of them are very spiritually inclined. Some of them are not. Um, But, um, you know, prayer is not necessarily the thing that I would say, yeah, they're like totally not interested in Judaism, but boy, do they pray. (laughs) Like, it's not something that I would associate with somebody who's not a spiritually inclined person. So it seems like a bold statement to make, right? What makes you human? The fact that you pray, but not everybody's praying, or you know, like, so, so, what's the explanation? Any ideas? Go
2: ahead. I think everybody prays because everybody looks for something. Everybody's verbalizing that they want something more, that they need something different. Okay. And if they're verbalizing it, then that means that they believe in in something other than themselves.
0: Okay, you are a genius. Okay. <laughs> okay. And this is exactly what Rambam says. If you look at the bottom of the page, okay. And I found this to be, for me, it was like very eye-opening. Not something I would have thought of on my own. Okay. So what what does he say? And I'll just read it. He says, "What is meant by the term nephesh? And a Nephesh is a, is another word for a soul, referring to a, a living being." This is prayer, as it says, and I will pour out my soul before God. Therefore, the essence of the human soul is prayer. And the explanation of the subject is as follows. And this is exactly what Sarah was was, uh, was saying. Every aspiration of a person is intrinsically a prayer, because it is characteristic of a person that any strong aspiration he has is expressed within his heart and also by his lips in prayer. A person constantly yearns in praise, either to God or to seemingly other forces. So, if I'm sitting at a red light and feeling like, oh my God, when is this... Well, okay, that blew it. Right, um... <laughs> right, um, you know, when is this light gonna change? Like, please, let the light change already. Just change, light, change, right? even though I'm not praying to God necessarily, right? But the fact that I have a desire that I'm expressing and I'm verbalizing it, Rose Zessler says is actually a prayer. So even when we think, and for me this is, you know, some, some people are more, and I find probably most of you in this room are more, um, I find this generation is generally, maybe, I don't know, uh, meditative, in, you know, into just looking inwards, breathing deeply. i have had a massage for like five to ten minutes, but like more than that is ridiculous. Just way too so much. Crazy. No, just like, I can't sit there. It's like gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's just like a reaction to like how crazy people are. You like think so? Like not, I don't think
1: it's genuine. I think it's just like I don't everyone's know. crazy. Thank it makes me happy. feel
0: better. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not true, but what what why I found this, why I wanted to share this is because if there's anybody else out there like me, um, <laughs> then you you know sometimes we feel like it honestly took me, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know uh, a sickness in in my in, in the family, and thank God, everybody's fine. But in order for me to really connect to prayer in a, in, a, in a more meaningful, deeper way. So for someone who feels like this is so prayer, like this is so foreign to me, like I don't even know how to connect to God through prayer, you know, it this helped me personally because it, it made me realize that, wait, but I am connected to prayer, you know, I don't, might not realize it, it may not be in like the form that everybody seems to be, you know, jumping onto of like, you know, yeah, I would love to just go and not take a vow of silence for two weeks and just, you know, I, okay, you know, so even though it's, that's, that's not how it looks like in me, I'm still, right, a, a person who's connected to prayer, and and uh, we should all realize that somewhere deep within us, right, even if we're not able to connect to it in the way other people around us may speak about it and connect to it, we are all beings that, that pray. Once you have a hope and a desire and an aspiration, right you're you're involved in the process of tefillah. okay so this brings us to the concept of formalized prayer because what he's saying right and what Volvi and Rav Dessler who is the author of Mitzvah Liahu what they're saying really has nothing to do with formalized prayer right they're talking about prayer it, it you know a person expressing something that's you know inside of them it's something in their heart it's something that they're you know, moves from the heart to the lips, but it's not something that I have to read, right? Why do I have to contend with, a you know, a book, in you know, of of prayers that I don't understand, right, in a language, a foreign language, right, that is, even when I do read the translation, it seems very archaic, very uh, far from words and, and thoughts and, you know, ideas that I would connect to. So how does that even... Relate to me. How am I? How am I supposed to relate? Relate to the sitter. So, um, what I'd like to do is just give a little bit of historical background as to what, um, what, what the sitter is. So I know that uh, Jackie mentions right the first prayer that we see in the Torah. What was the first prayer? You guys remember? It was two weeks ago, so no pressure. So. Remember what the first prayer was? I'll give you a hint. Adam. He didn't pray for his mate, but that's a good guess. <laughs> he prayed. He prayed for rain, right? Right. He prayed for rain. So, um, but again, that wasn't formalized prayer. That was like, okay, well, you said I'm gonna have all my needs taken care of in this nice little garden, but um, there's no vegetation coming out. What am I? What am I supposed to eat? So right, he felt the need for something, and he asked for it. So um, the forefathers, the Avot, actually instituted three set times for prayer. Okay, if we're moving along in the in the Chumash, um, and I'm not going to. You can look at it on your own later. But the second source, um, where it says Talmud Bavli Brachot uh, 26b. That is that that goes through the Gemara that that actually you know uh, delineates how each of the forefathers, Abraham instituted the time for the morning prayers, Isaac instituted the time for afternoon prayers, and Jacob instituted the time for the evening prayers. But we still, but they, none of them prayed from a sitter. So anyone have any idea how old the sitter is? Okay, great. So a little before that, okay, now it actually is, the, 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 the Siddur is actually the oldest book that we have after the 24 books of Tanakh, right? To, to, Tanakh is an acronym for Torah, Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and Ketuvim, the writings. After that, right, the next oldest book that we have in our tradition is the Siddur, and the Siddur was actually written very close to what Jenny uh, said, not after the Second Temple, but, but actually r- during the time of the Second te- Temple, r- really right in the beginning of the time of the Second Temple. So what exactly was happening? Why did we, why did we have this? Uh, why did they compose? We'll see who composed it. Why was it composed? So after uh, you know we the the first temple was destroyed, it was destroyed uh, the by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar was ruler; he was king, and he put us in exile. So the Jews were all in Babyl, which is modern-day Iraq. Any Iraqis here? Nope, I'm the only one. Okay. <laughs> um, so my dad's Iraqi. Um, so after. Uh, we were we were in exile it was 70 years, and Koresh was uh, was king. He was actually said to be a Melach Kasher, a uh, proper, a fitting king. He woke up one day and he said, "Jews, go back and rebuild your temple." Okay. So that he was he had a divine, uh, whether he was guided by divine providence, whatever the situation was, he allowed he not only allowed but told the Jews to return and rebuild the second temple. Now, it's only we were only in exile for 70 years, okay? Not that long, right? 70 years is not that long. Now, how many people do you think went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple? Right? It's been 70 years. The temple was magnificent. It was, you know, the spinal cord of the Jewish people. Tremendous miracles happening there. We're like, like this is, I mean, it, it, you've all been to Israel. I think mean, most of you have been on trips to Israel. We, see, we have the Kotel, which is just the outer wall, right? But I'm sure you've seen pictures, and you've seen the Kotel tunnels, and you've seen models, right? It was grand. It was, it was beautiful. It was overwhelming, not just in its physical beauty, but in its spiritual beauty and power. So how many people do you think went back to rebuild the temple? You think this would be, like, awesome, exciting, right, opportunity? How many people went? Not a lot at all. About, I think it's 42,000. I wrote down the number. Hold on, I'll tell you exactly. I want to say 42,360. Hold on. Yes, 42,360 people. That sounds like a lot. Not so much. Think about how many millions of Jews there are. Okay? 42,000 left. We were very comfortable in Bavel already. It doesn't take, you know, we we've uh, you know Jews have been exiled from lots of different places, and wherever we go, we settle and we settle well, right? Some of the uh, stereotypes about Jews and you know how quickly they. It's uh okay. <laughs> Is it mine? I have no idea. <laughs> um, so, however quickly <laughs> we. Uh, yeah. We uh, right wherever we go, we settle, we settle down, and we establish ourselves financially. The Jews were very comfortable in Bavel, and people were not in a rush to go back. So, forty-two thousand plus forty-two thousand three hundred sixty people go back, and they start to rebuild the the
2: temple. Not my best. Great. <laughs>
0: um, then, uh, a few years later, five years later, Ezra, who was. One of the leaders of the, of the prophets in, of the Jewish nation, he comes, and he um, is there to finish off the process to help dedicate, dedicate the, rededicate the, the temple, inaugurate the, the second temple, and right there's tremendous there's tremendous rejoicing. You would imagine, right now we're right we're, we're celebrating the the inauguration of the temple. So look at uh, the first. Um, well, now you're on page three, I think. So it says "History of Siddur on top. Mm-hmm. So this is from from uh, Ezra, the Book of Ezra in Tanakh, okay, chapter three, okay, verse 12 and 13. It's describing the scene, right, when the um, right when when the uh, uh, now we're rededicating we're dedicating the Second Temple. So somebody read 12 and 13, please. Great. Great.
1: And any of the priests and the Leviates and the heads of the fathers' houses, the old men who had in the first temple when its foundation was laid, when they saw this temple with their eyes, were weeping with a loud voice, and many with a shout of joy to raise their voice.
0: Okay, hold on. So just let's summarize in our own words. Bye. Okay. What are we what are we saying? What's happening here? Are people um are they happy or are they sad? Okay, so it seems, it's hard to understand, because on the one side we're saying, weeping with a loud voice, and many with a shout of joy. So it seems like there's both going on. Okay, go ahead.
1: And the people did not recognize the voice of the shout of joy, because it's a voice of the people weeping. For the people were shouting a great shout, and the voice was heard
0: from afar. So what's it saying? The weeping
1: was louder.
0: The weeping was louder than the shouts of joy. Now why are they weeping? had to walk. It was my feet are tired, right? I have blisters, you know. (laughs) That's that that's a possibility. But what do they say in the in the first, if you look at verse 12, it says Old men who had seen the first temple when its foundation was laid, when they saw this temple with their eyes, were weeping with a loud voice. It wasn't as it wasn't as good, okay? This wasn't like the first temple, right? This was just, you, you couldn't compare. They actually, the, it's, it's, it, we're, we're told that not all of the miracles that were present during the time of the first temple, we did not experience this, all of the miracles in the second temple, uh, you know, in terms, are many different things, I'm going to go, in, go into details, um, but it wasn't the same experience. And for the people who were older, right, who had seen the first temple and who experienced its, you know, its grandeur, there was tremendous disappointment and feeling like, what? Like this is what this is what we're left with. So um people that are old at that time. I feel like now seventy years old is old it's old, it's age. You're right, I, I imagine it wasn't many, you know, although it sounds like they were loud <laughs> in terms of their weeping. Um, but I don't I don't know what the life expectancy was. And it could be that they were I imagine young children at the time, um, you know before before the destruction of the first and now they were now they were you know well on in, in years. Um, but Ezra, so what what happened? Okay? We real they the the leaders of the Jewish community realized of the that the second temple just like the first temple didn't last. They knew through prophecies that the second temple wasn't going to last either. And Ezra with the last three prophets, Zechariah, Malachi, and Haggai, they and the, what's called the Anshe Knesset HaGedola, the men of the Great Assembly, there were 120 uh, rabbinic leaders of the Jewish community, they foresaw that this temple is not going to be here forever either, and we need to establish something for the Jewish people that's going to be like a, an, an itinerant temple. Right? A, a traveling mini temple, so to speak. And that's how that was the motivation to compose the Siddur. This is supposed to be the the, the, the formalized prayers of the Siddur are supposed to be something that will carry us throughout the exile, that will connect everybody to each other. It's amazing. You think about how spread out the Jewish people have been in the past 2,000 years. You have people from Iran, from the Soviet, you know, former Soviet Union, from, uh, you know, uh, Germany, from Israel, from Iraq, from all over, and we all, okay, minor differences between Spartan and nationalism, but we all basically have the same prayers. Wherever you go, we spoke about community. Right? Wherever you go, no matter where you travel, it's the same sitter. It doesn't change. It's something that has unified the Jewish people for thousands of years in our exile. And not only that, right? if we're talking about this concept of you know, how do I evaluate who I am and what I want, so the sitter, if when we understand the words, which by the way is something that I think takes a long time, it's a long process, um, you know, to go through all the formalized prayers. But if we take the time to really understand the words, just the words themselves will be able to act as that uh, objective voice of. How do I see myself? Am I am I the kind of person that I want to be? Do I have the relationship with God that I want to have? You know, do I have the relationship with the Jewish people that I want to have? But we in most if not all of the prayers, we always speak in the plural. Okay? We're always speaking as a community connected to everybody. It's not about right we we identify ourselves as part of the Jewish people, not as, you know, I I just need to get that skirt on sale at Macy's or whatever you know wh- whatever the situation may be, so ideally that's what the the, the formalized prayers should do for us. Now, um, it's already nine o'clock. Um, should we do a little bit more, or you guys uh, we'll do we'll do like another five minutes because we started a little bit late with the introduction. So. Um, I want to just let's just look at a couple things um, in terms of what the concept of prayer is, and I want to I want to at least touch upon praying in Hebrew and like what you know what 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 the significance is. So first of all the Rambam Maimonides, if you look at the bottom of uh, the page of the history of the sitter. Right there, and you can look at these. You'll take these home. We're not going to read through everything because it will take too long. But you're more than welcome. So I wanted you to have the sources so you could at least, uh, you know, see in black and white. It's not just me. What um, you know, what's being said about the Siddur. So first of all, in general, when it comes to prayer, it's actually a positive commandment to pray each day. Okay. So anytime you pray, and this is uh, according to the Rambam, it's once a day. So Spartan, uh, How many? Are we have Spartan? I know she seems Sephardic, I don't know if you okay, but another Sephardic. So, um, right, we are actually required only to pray once a day, Ashkenazim, typically twice a day. Um, You can all convert and become Sephardim. it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, for women, women. yeah, for women. Well, Well, this is actually, biblically, the biblical commandment is to pray once a day. Okay, rabbinically we now have added on on prayers. Um, so for Sephardic women, which is right, we are still only required for one prayer a day. Ashkenazi women, twice a day. Um, okay, that's one thing. Plus, okay, I wanted to just if you turn turn the page. Um, what is a prayer? So right. Could now it used to be, by the way, and I think this, uh, I this I probably have it somewhere a, a different source that a prayer was just from a person's heart. Okay, it was just whenever a person felt the need, and even in the time, a person felt that they wanted to express something to God. As long as they expressed whatever it was that they expressed, they fulfilled their requirement. It wasn't like a formal with with a you know a formal prayer of the sitter. but. Um the Rambam says, what is a prayer? It's actually comprised of three different things. Um right, it's comprised of, you see, in bold, praise, request, and thanks to God. And if you look at, you know, you can look at the source later and see that right here it goes into a little bit of not, not much, but a little bit of an explanation of those three things. Now, um, I want to just address the the Hebrew because that to me is uh is, is a major stumbling block for a lot of people. And um, the the beautiful thing is we know and even why commentators would write their commentaries in Hebrew is because that's a language that we know is going to last to the duration. Right? The fact that Rashamshraphael Hirsch wrote his his uh, commentaries in German, well now many people cannot read the original because German is no longer right, the the, the bulk of the Jewish community is not I you mean know, the Ashkenazi is is not, not in Germany anymore. Um, even uh, um, the Ben Ishay, who's uh, you know was a for those of you who are Spartan right, who's a, Spart- a rabbi in Iraq, he wrote a couple books. He wrote a book for uh, um, for women. It was written in in Arabic. Well, right, who's reading who's reading Arabic today? There are people, but you know, it's certainly not wise. But if you want something to last throughout the generations, the thought process was. Let it be in Hebrew, because that will always be our language. So, um, what is, what is the, um, the story with Hebrew? So, if you turn to the last page. Is it the last page? Hold on. Or the second to last page. First the second to last page, and then we'll go to the last page. Um, so, the second source. Well, first look at the first, okay, the uh, the Rambam on top. So, in which circumstances may one pray in any language? In public prayer, he says, you could pray in any language, but in individual prayer, he recommends that you do it in Hebrew, okay? Now, don't worry. There's, then there's the, the Shulchan Aruch comment, okay, below. Um, and then below that, right, it says, ibid, citing Rabbeinu Asher, Okay, if it's a, he, what is, what is, this is also from the Shulchan Aruch, which is basically the, the code of law that is followed by Sfardin and what Ashkenaz Halakha is also, also based upon. It says, And there are those who say that even when praying alone, when asking for his needs, can nonetheless pray in any language that he desires. So certainly it's permissible, but we see there's a stress on the Hebrew. So why why the, the constant stress on the Hebrew? So um, if you uh, let, let's look at the last source and then uh, on this page and then we'll turn the page. Does someone want to want to read the last source, Rabbi Nathan Sherman? Go for it, Sarah. The prayer that one.
2: The prayer still talk? Yes. The prayer is so taught that it represents man at the summit of his aspirations for holiness. Helps us understand why the language of prayer is Hebrew. It is true that the sages allow prayer in any language. Talmud, Soda, Yerah, He's
0: just bringing the source. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: but this is not a blanket permission, nor does it equate Hebrew, the holy tongue, with en- with other languages. The Jewish legal authorities frown upon prayer in other languages. The commentator, Nachmanides, shows that Hebrew is the language God used in creating the universe and the language of prophecy. That he explains is why it is called the Holy Tongue. That alone helps explain why the prayers have greater sanctity if they are uttered in Hebrew. The, com- the commentators note that no translation can capture all the nuances of the prayers or the prophetic words of God or the sacred compositions of the Great Assembly and their sublime successors down the ages.
0: Okay. So one idea is that right the the fact that that uh, right he, what the the prayers are in Hebrew is because it's the it's the language of God, and you know this is we we don't understand the value and the weight that that carries. There are even those there are those that held the opinion that the Hebrew Lashon there's a distinction that's made between Hebrew, which is modern Hebrew, what's spoken today, and Lashon HaKodesh, which is the Holy Tongue, which is more it is is Hebrew, but like, the language that we use for learning, for prayer, and there are those that uh, hold that one shouldn't speak in Lashon HaKodesh. Okay? And people, like, will, dafka, like, you know, specifically, not speak in Hebrew, because it shouldn't be used for mundane matters. They're so. they such a spiritual and lofty language. Mm-hmm. So this is also Yiddish and Jewish Arabic. There's all these dialects in different Middle Eastern countries that evolved because e- they could have just spoken in Hebrew, but they didn't want to dilute the the uh, holiness and the weight of, of what of what the Hebrew language carried. So that's one one aspect. Um, go ahead. Keep. Uh, Hold on. Start, start from the second paragraph, the 22 sacred letters.
2: 20, uh, the 22 sacred letters are profound, primal, spiritual forces. They are, in effect, the raw material of creation. When God combined them into words, phrases, and commands, they brought about creation, translating his will into reality. There is an analogy in the physical realm, one type of combination of hydrogen and oxygen produces water, while other produces hydrogen peroxide. So it is with all the elements and their infinite possible combinations. Similarly, there is a divine science in the Hebrew alphabet. The Book of Creation, the early Kabbalistic work ascribed to the patriarch Abraham, describes how the sacred letters were used at the agency of creation. The letters can be arranged in countless combinations by changing their order within words and interchanging letters in line with the rules of various Kabbalistic letter systems. Each rearrangement results in a new blend of the cosmic-spiritual forces represented
0: by the letters. Okay, so the, when we're talking about, right, the Hebrew language, Lashon HaKodesh, we're not just talking about, you know, A, B, C, D. He's saying that each letter carries, you know, such depth and meaning in, in, in it's how God created the world, it's the tools with which He used to create the world, that there's the, we, we we can never translate that properly. How do you translate that? You know how do you translate? Uh, you know even names of God, right? When we say in you know, Amonai or Elohim, right? All these names of God, there is no real proper translation. Anyone who's in you know involved in uh, you know higher uh, learning and and translations of if you're you know if, if you're like a history you know, person, or, you know, when you're looking at translations, you know, there's, we say it was lost in translation, right, broken telephone, you can't capture it, even in a, in regular, right, You Tolstoy, or, right, you know, for people, right, so I, I read, uh, right, you yeah. know, just because I, I read the translation, but I didn't really get, you know, the, the full meaning and beauty of what was trying to be conveyed. And that's just in, in uh, secular, secular language. Here we're talking about something that carries so much more weight. Okay, so the last paragraph, the same explanation.
2: The same explanation applies to the language of prayer. The Great Assembly had the ability to combine letters, verses, and ideas in ways that unlock a gates of heaven. Their composition of the prayers is tantamount to an act of creation, which is why it is so important not to deviate from their language of formulation. This is not to denigrate the importance of comp- comprehension and emotional involvement. Prayer in the language one understands is sanctioned by the sages themselves, and surely a well-understood prayer is immeasurably more worthy than one that is merrily mouthed as a string of un- uncomprehended sounds. Nevertheless, this does not detract a whit from the importance of praying in the holy tongue. It merely points out the responsibility to understand the prayers in their original holiest form.
0: Okay, so I hope that gives a little bit of insight as to why why, why it's in Hebrew, why we why we value the fact the, 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 the fact that it's in Hebrew. I, I you know one of the um, you know if, if you've been to Reform or Conservative services, so it does seem easier to participate and to be a part of what's going on because it's in English, um, because it's in your your you know a, a language that that's not foreign, something that's understandable, but we are missing something very critical when we when we lose the Hebrew. And just the last uh, source, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein who was a modern uh, halachic, you know, a uh, decisor, uh, decisor of Jewish law, um, he died in the 80s, so he says very clearly until he has learned the Holy Tongue he should recite the prayers from the printed English. And it is a good idea to find a translation made by someone who knows well how to keep Torah and Mitzvot. So of course you know, uh, until a person, you know, yeah, you don't have to feel like what, you know, well then my words are meaningless. Of course they're not. They're not. The, the, you should do it in the language that you're comfortable with. But realizing that at some point it would be nice to put an understanding behind, you know, the Hebrew, so I could tap into something that that's that's there and and, and lies more beneath the surface. So we'll stop here. Any qu- any questions before? Uh, you know, it's late. Thank you.